All right, welcome. Glad you're here. We are in the last of the four episodes of Relationship Goals, and it's an exciting conclusion together today. We're going to do a quick review as we take a look at the last one. The first is Christ-centered. Have you put the four corners up? Christ-centered was the first one where once Christ is the center of your life, other things that take your center and divert your energy away from God kind of diminish and Christ becomes more and more prominent. Everything starts to come into place. Christ-centered, kingdom living, devil-kicking, Today we're looking at covenant keeping, and all of these work together. It's a little different than the relationship goals you might be expecting. Probably the last one is even the f- most different than you were expecting, particularly when we introduce it with a picture of wedding rings and talk, talk about covenant keeping. You might think this is all about marriage and romance and uh, that kind of thing. Well, it's bigger than that. It is about that, but it's about all of us in relationships. And so I want to introduce it this way. God is a relational being himself. He created us in his image and we human beings are created to thrive in relationships. We are relational beings as well. When God revealed himself to us, he did not use abstract terms to reveal what he is like. He revealed himself to us in relationship terms, and he revealed himself to us in and through relationships, and that's how we got to know the God we love and serve. And there's a big concept that wraps around all of those relationship terms, and that is the concept of covenant. We in our culture have lost a little bit of the sense of what covenant is all about because the only vague memory of covenant that we have is marriage. And even in our view of marriage, we have in our culture kind of three different approaches. One is very casual, a casual approach to this relationship. Another is kind of contractual. And the third is the God-designed approach. way of looking at marriage, and it's covenantal, that we make covenant together. But to understand that, you need to understand covenants, and that's where we're kind of uh, lost a little bit. And so today, uh, we're going to get into a little bit of deeper water than usual as we take a look at covenant, and maybe a little bit of a challenge. I was reminded just this morning, because do you remember when I introduced weeks ago, if you were here, that uh, through the 2020 vision clarity concept, I said, everybody, let God bring one word so that you can have more clarity for this year. One word that you just use as a filter for your year, and I revealed to you that my word was mentor. Well, I've been really working on that, and that I would be continuing to seek mentorship as well as be a mentor. And I read a book, and the book just really brought back all kinds of things for me because the the greatest earthly mentor I've ever had is my dad. My dad was a missionary, he was a preacher, and he was, for the greatest bulk of his career, a Bible college professor. And I always mention to people, I want to be like my dad. Well, I kind of picked the preacher-teacher track, and I always felt like, well, I missed out on his missionary track, and I missed out on his Bible college professor track, but this morning I thought, you know what? He mentored me in those areas, and I didn't miss out. When we talk about helping people move from wherever they are to where God wants them to be, really, that's a missionary endeavor. People who are here that do not speak a different language necessarily 
actually do speak a lot different language than I'm comfortable with or used to when they're in the kingdom of darkness and don't know it. And I have to build a bridge into the kingdom of darkness, literally go into that darkness, think the way people think and help them see their way out into a kingdom of light. That's a missionary endeavor. And so in the earliest stages, you might not even be in the kingdom yet. I have to talk in a way that makes it easy for a person to understand, to see what it is that God has to offer that you might even be interested in and to walk out of what you currently know into something better. And that's a missionary endeavor. I live and breathe in the teaching endeavor, but the Bible college professor endeavor, uh, we're going there today. So, Professor Hammond, would you take us into the deep waters of covenant thinking? We're going to literally take a view of all of um, salvation history from not a bird's eye view. We're going to way up to a jet stream view of the whole thing, and I only have 22 minutes to do it, so I better get to it. So we're going to jump right into the first little uh, passage. I'm going to just pick and choose because it's, it's pervasive throughout the entire Bible. Let me put it this way. If I look at my Bible and your Bible too and divide it from the dividing point between the Old and New Testaments, I put my notes right there, we got a, the thinner portion of the Bible is the New Testament. The much thicker portion is the Old Testament. What is a testament? The testament is the writings about God's covenant with us. The old writings, the old writings about the old covenants are in the Old Testament. The writings about the new covenant in Jesus is the New Testament. And the old covenant anticipated, I want to show you that today, and predicted it and had hopes for the new covenant coming and the new covenant is better, sweeter and amazingly more powerful and we're going to talk about that today as well. So let's jump into a quick passage in Exodus, Exodus 31:18. Perhaps you recognize what this is about when I read it. When the Lord finished speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two tablets of the covenant law the tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God. Now that's the Ten Commandments. They were inscribed in stone. The first set, which Moses broke because he was so angry later, that's a whole different story, was inscribed by God. The second set, Moses, had, because he broke them, he had to chisel them out the second time around. And then that's what was kept in the ark. That's when the, all right, covenant, Professor Jim, <laughs> there are three aspects to a covenant, every covenant, and marriage isn't the only covenant. There are covenants between kings and conquered kings that didn't want to just obliterate them, they'd enter into covenant. Okay, I'll be this kind of king for you, and you, as long as you pay taxes, here's the terms, then I'll protect you when other kings come against you, they'd enter into covenants. A covenant is always a formally entered set of agreements, formally. Nothing casual about it. Nothing contractual in a sense. There are promises being made. And there are three aspects to every covenant. The first part identifies the parties who are going to enter into the covenant. The second aspect identifies the terms of the covenant. And here we're hearing about the terms of the covenant. A lot of people look at the Ten Commandments and think, aha, so as long as I keep these commandments, then I have followed the terms and he has to let me into heaven. No, you're looking at it completely wrong. The rules of the old covenant were the family rules. 
Family rules for the family to live with their God. God says, I am the Savior who delivered you out of Egypt. So he established a deliverance blessing for them. And once they're delivered as the family of God to be called the people of God, here are the terms to live in good relationship together. These are the family rules to live in good relationship together with our God. That's the covenant law. Did I mention the third? The third identifies promises or benefits for the covenant. So as you're reading the Old Testament law, you'll read the promises and benefits that go with that covenant. Now, I'm going to rely on another professor to take you through a big overview quickly. It's on the screen. If you've been around Christians, you've probably heard of the idea of having a personal relationship with God, which could mean different things in the Bible, like having God as a friend, or your father, or maybe your teacher. But there's one particular way that the Bible talks about this relationship that you find all over. But strangely, we don't talk about it that much. And that's the idea of a partnership with God. A partnership like working alongside someone to accomplish a goal together. Right. And this is actually what you see at the beginning of the Bible. God creates this good world full of all of this potential. And then God appoints these unique creatures, humans, as his partners in bringing more and more goodness out of all that potential. But the humans don't want to partner with God. They rebel and try to create a world on their own terms. And so this broken partnership is the Bible's explanation for why we're stuck in a world of corruption and injustice and the tragedy of death. It's not like there's just one or two humans who have bailed on this relationship. In the story of the Bible, everyone has abandoned the partnership with God. So what God does is select a smaller group of people out of the many. And he makes a new partnership with them called a covenant. And in a covenant, God makes promises and then in exchange asks his partner to fulfill certain commitments. And the purpose of all of this is to somehow use this covenant relationship to renew his partnership with everybody else. Now, there are actually four times in the Old Testament that we're told God initiates a covenant relationship with Noah, Abraham, the nation of Israel, and King David. And it's through these that God is forming a covenant family into which all people will eventually be invited. So let's see how these work. The first one is with Noah. So in this story, God has just brought the flood to cleanse the world of humanity's corruption. And Noah and his family are the only ones left. And so God makes a covenant with Noah saying, listen, I know that humans will continue to be evil, but despite that, I'm not going to destroy it like this again. Instead, the earth will be this reliable place for us to work together. Great. So what does Noah have to do? Nothing. And that's what's so interesting about this first covenant is that God is promising to be faithful even though he knows humans won't be. The next time we see God make a covenant is with a man named Abraham. God chooses him, promises to bless him, give him a large family, lots of land where they can flourish. And in return, God asks Abraham to trust him and train up his family to do what is right and just. And the whole reason for this covenant is God says that somehow he's going to bring his blessing to all families of the world through this one family. So that's Abraham. The next time we see God make a covenant is when Abraham's family grows into the tribe of Israel. And this covenant is with the whole tribe. God asks them to obey a set of laws, which are these guidelines for living well as a community of God's partners. And if they do this, then God promises to bless them and that they will become a people who then represent him to the rest of humanity. That's the covenant with Israel. 
The last covenant is with King David. Yeah, the tribe of Israel has become this large nation ruled by David. And God asked David and his descendants to partner with him by leading Israel in obeying the laws and doing what is right and just. And God promises that one day, one of David's sons will come and extend God's kingdom of peace and blessing over all the nations. So those are the four covenants that God makes in order to restore his partnership with the whole world. But here's what happens. Israel breaks the covenant. They worship other gods, they allow horrible injustice, and so they lose their land and are forced off into exile. So it seems hopeless. But during this time, Israel's prophets talked about a day when God would restore these covenants in spite of Israel's failure, somehow. Yeah, they called it the new covenant. And this is actually what's so interesting about Jesus is that he's introduced into this story as the one who fulfills all of these covenant relationships. We're told that he's from the family of Abraham. And so he will bring the blessings of that family to the whole world. We're told that he's the faithful Israelite who was able to truly obey the law. And we're told that he's the king from the line of David. And so he goes about extending God's kingdom of justice and peace to all. And that's really remarkable for one guy. Yeah, and what it highlights is perhaps the most surprising claim of all made about this man, that Jesus is no mere human, but rather God become human. And God did this in order to be that faithful covenant partner that we are all made to be, but have failed to be. And so through Jesus, God has opened up a way for anyone to be in a renewed partnership with him. So Jesus calls people to follow him and become part of this new covenant family. And despite their failures, Jesus is committed to making them into partners who were becoming more and more faithful. The story of the Bible ends with a vision of a fully renewed world, full of goodness and peace. And there's this renewed humanity there, partnering together with God to expand the goodness of his creation. And so the end of the Bible story is really a new beginning. All right, I see that you're underwhelmed. You look a lot like a college class. A lot of information fast, but we need to get a hold of this information in such a way that touches our lives and we kind of see what it's about. So we're backing up into the Solomon reign right after King David when Solomon built a temple. David wanted to, but God says, no, you're a warrior. Let's wait and I'm going to have your son build it. When they built the temple, Solomon prayed. And in that prayer, we read in 1 Kings 8.23, Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants who continue wholeheartedly in your way. So this is not just a law thing. This is a, a loving covenant where it's like marriage in that he says, I will be your God. This is what I've done for you. This is what I'm going to do for you. Here are the promises and blessings. And Solomon just says, this is overwhelming and this is going to be so great. And then there's some other things that he says, a warning as well. But we're going to jump into more explanations of the covenant. So if you're ready to write something down, here's a profound thought that starts with the promise to Abraham. And that is this. Point number one, you are blessed to be a blessing. That's the point of God entering into covenant with us. That's the point of choosing to have a relationship with us, to bless us, to give us everything we need to be a blessing. Here's how it goes down in Genesis 12. This is to Abraham. This is God. I will make you into a great nation. There's a promise. 
And I will bless you. There's a promise. I will make your name great. There's a promise. And you will be a blessing. That's the purpose of the promise. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So he's going to make them a great nation, but it's going to go beyond just a national blessing. It's going to be global. You are blessed to be a blessing. And that was God's covenant purpose for choosing Abraham and building from there. Point number two, now I want to show you how this same covenant promise is fulfilled, that we would be blessed to be a blessing in and through Jesus. That we are blessed to be a blessing in and through Jesus. I want to show you that from the Old Testament, then the New. In the Old Testament, from the promise to Abraham, Genesis twenty-two eighteen, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. That was God's promise to Abraham. Through your offspring, this is going to be global, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Paul, then in the New Testament, thousands of years later, writes this in Galatians 3.16. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Now he's using a Greek word to, uh, that's the, the word probably from the Septuagint, to elaborate. Now first of all, you need to understand, Paul has this really high view of the Hebrew scriptures. That every jot and every tittle God has put there through the writers of the people, who loved him, that now it's, sure, written by man, but it's fully God's word. To the degree that he's now arguing from the grammar, from the choice of word, from a collective singular that could be used in a plural way or in a singular way, Paul says, now take a look at this promise. In Galatians he says, the promise spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say and to seeds. There was another way to say a plural word, but wasn't chosen. The collective singular was used, so it could go either way. He says, this is amazing, meaning many, many people, but to your seed, singular, meaning one person who is Jesus. In other words, this promise to Abraham 2,000 years ago is fulfilled in Jesus, the one man who is the descendant of Abraham. And he was making a big deal out of that promise. Now I want to show you a couple others from Isaiah, uh, written also hundreds of years before Jesus. Isaiah 42, 1 through 3, reads this way. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. So there's this prophecy about a coming one that he's going to uphold, that the Spirit of God would come on him. And here's how it was fulfilled. When Jesus arrives on the scene, before he starts his ministry, he's baptized by John the Baptist. And in the middle of, right before he's baptized, or right as he's coming out of the water, the heavens open up, a booming voice says for all to hear, this is my beloved and it doesn't say servant. It's quoting Isaiah, but shifts it one notch up. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And they watch then visibly the spirit of God descend upon Jesus. And then John the Baptist identifies him as behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is a magnificent scene, but it's all set up by this prophecy. 
Now, the prophecy is more cryptic than the reality. The cryptic prophecies are part of the element that causes the covenant to actually come about. Those people who are following the prophecies, they miss the reality of Jesus because of the cryptic nature of these prophecies. Now, as we keep reading right here, Isaiah 42, 3, I love this. A bruised reed he will not break. He who? This servant who the Spirit will come upon. A bruised reed he will not break. I want you to just visualize this. A reed like a reed in a a river right on the edge just waving in the wind. He's saying a bruised reed. Can you picture a bruised reed where something hits it and it's got a bruise right there and it just goes whack and it's just blowing in the wind? This reed, he says, he will not break off. He won't say, you have little faith. He's not going to just go... He, and so let me just make this real personal. There are people in here, I know, the, a crowd this size, your faith is still bruised. You may have had a vibrant faith at one point in time and you've gone through something and it just kind of knocked your faith off kilter and you just got this bruise and you're not standing real straight and strong and you're just like, I don't know. I'm struggling right now to believe. This just, it doesn't seem all that real. It seems so far away and I've heard this other stuff and I'm, I'm having doubts. And Jesus looks at you and he says, he doesn't say, ah, you have little faith, rip the thing off. He, he does something else. Why? Because he's been in our world, feeling what you feel. He knows the suffering. He has this mercy. He just takes the reed and he straightens it up and he holds the bruised area. I will walk through this with you. I will go with you. I will carry your pain. I will walk with you. I am here for you. Walk with him. It's going to be great. And then he follows that scene up with another verbal scene where a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. So picture a lamp with a wick and the light's going out. It was burning bright at one point and it's going out, going out. Now it's just a little tiny red ember. If you picture a candle, it's just down to red in the wick. He doesn't go, you have little faith. He doesn't do that. The Lord Jesus goes, come on, come on. Come on, you're going to be okay. I'm here for you. I'm here for you. He is here for you right now. He loves you. He's compassionate. He understands when you're suffering. He took on our suffering, and he understands it. He gets it. He knows that it's hard to understand why God even allows it, but he walked through it too, and he's going to walk through it with you. We skip down to verse 6, and here's what we read about him. Isaiah 42, 6, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you. You who? This is you, the servant. You, the chosen one. You, whom the Spirit dwells. I will make you, what? To be a covenant. Whoa! Now this covenant arrangement, which is a ceremony, he says it's not just a ceremony where we make pledges and promises back and forth to each other. I will make you, this person, a covenant. Now, in order for us to see what in the world he's talking about, we're jumping ahead now to the New Testament and familiar words to us. If you, In fact, we just kind of focused on it in communion together. Luke 22, verse 20, where the night before Jesus was crucified, he took bread and he said, this is my body. Then he took a cup and he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. His body, his being becomes the new covenant. Now here's what's weird. The old covenant 
was all filled with this covenants we just saw, and they were all anticipating that there was going to be a new covenant coming, and now it's even anticipating that this new covenant will be a person, and through this person we will have the enmity between ourselves and God will be brought together in this person so that we can have a loving personal relationship with God who is holy, even though we are not. So the Lord Jesus Christ takes a multiple thousand-year-old Passover, a 1,500-year-old Passover meal that's all about being redeemed out of Egypt, and he says, now a greater redemption is about to be taking place, and it's going to be in my blood. That's pretty audacious. This whole Jewish central piece of their celebration, he takes and changes it. Now it's me. It's through me. I'm the lamb that's going to take away your sins. And then it literally absorbs our darkness, dies on the cross, takes it away, and victoriously raises. So he purifies you and then empowers you. It's through a person that we can enter into covenant with God. I'm pretty excited about this. You are blessed to be a blessing in and through Jesus. A on your outline, uniting with Jesus is the new covenant. When you formally enter into covenant with God through the person of Jesus, you are now in the new covenant relationship with God. There's no, whoops, I tripped into this. It's just a casual thing. We just kind of happen to do life together. No, it's nothing casual about it. There's a formal entrance and a formal ceremony and a formal process where you declare yourself and God has declared himself in Jesus for you to enter into covenant with him. And once you've entered in, it changes your identity. You are now made known to be a child of God by the blood of Jesus. You are made known to be the bride of Christ. This Jesus who says, I've done this for you. I've given my all. I've poured out my blood for you. And he says, will you be mine? Until you say formally, I do, you're not in covenant with him. But when you say, I do, His commitment envelops you and your identity changes as a child of God, the bride of Christ, walking with him in the power of his spirit because a merge takes place, his life for your life, uniting with Jesus in the new covenant. Be on your outline. Loving like Jesus is covenant keeping. Loving like Jesus is covenant keeping. Okay, hold on to your hats because I'm going to put on my professor hat. We're going to jump into Hosea 6.6. In Hosea 6.6, we read this. It's a frequently quoted verse by Jesus. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. He would confront the religious elite of his day. And he says, you need to look up Hosea 6.6. He didn't say the location. He just quotes it. Go look it up. You need to understand what that means. Because they kept approaching Jesus from their religion standpoint and how Jesus wasn't following the rules and the lines of text. And he says, you're all focused on religion. You need to focus on... Now, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, so I'll mess this up, but there's a guttural sound in front of chesed. It goes like this, chesed, chesed, chesed. That's the word mercy. For I desire chesed, not sacrifice. I desire a personal relationship in covenant with me expressed through hesed. Now, hesed is translated mercy here. It's translated loving kindness. It's translated the steadfast love. It's a covenant loyalty in response to what God has done for you in covenant. 
That's hesed. I think the best way that helps me to understand hesed is this, and it usually is never translated this way. It's when you do what is best for your covenant partner because your partner has done good for you. Hesed. When they do hesed for you, the appropriate response is hesed for them. Now, think of this in terms of God's hesed to us. He is steadfast and loving kindness is is his character as being. Mercy is his being. So he wraps us up with his loving kindness and mercy. And because we receive this, he expects hesed back towards him. How? When we bring hesed to others. Okay? Now, this starts to make sense for us as we say, what does covenant keeping look like? The New Testament just amplifies this major theme in the Old Testament, has said in this way. Jesus says, freely you have received, freely give. As you have been forgiven, you forgive. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Accept as you have been accepted. Love because you have been loved. Be kind and compassionate because God was kind to you. Be merciful because God was merciful to you. In fact, God gets really frustrated if he gives you covenant loyalty, covenant blessing, mercy, and grace, and you show no mercy to others. He says, you were far from God, alienated from me, and I loved you enough to bring you to me. Now, because of my hesed, you love others who are far from you and far from God. Maybe your enemy, you love them because you were once an enemy of mine too that I loved. That's hesed. So, wrapping all this around, it comes back around to the four things that we've been talking about. If you are Christ-centered, it causes you to, in covenant relationship with God, because he has done this for you and he is your king, seek first his kingdom, because that's what he came to do, to do a global save. And we're to be a part of that. That's his purpose. So we need to do good for our covenant partner. We take up our cross and follow Jesus because we're doing the same thing he was about. Saving the world. Helping people cross the line out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And it is a battle. And that's why we have to be devil kicking. Standing clean and strong and in prayer and helping people cross that line and help them to understand what truth and light is all about. All of this that is described is covenant keeping. So my question to you is, are you in covenant? Can you remember when you formally said, I do? And if you can't remember when you formally said, I do to Jesus for what he has done for you, you have taken covenant, which is formal, and been real casual about it. He's real clear. It's not casual. This is real. Take steps. Open your heart wide open. Receive all this grace. And now you're going to see the power of the Spirit flow through you to give grace back out. So let me pray for you. Lord God, we thank you for loving us so well. When we did not deserve it, when we walked in alienation, ignoring you, running our own little kingdoms, forgetting about you, offending you, thank you for sending your son to absorb that darkness, that offense, and release us 
to be raised with new life through the power of his blood, the victory of the cross, and your spirit's resurrection power through his resurrection, that we might be a part of your move, this movement, this global movement, where all nations are blessed by the blessing you've given us. Lord God, I pray specifically for the Verde Valley, this place. Fill us with the love of Jesus Christ that we might be a blessing. Help us to walk with you in such a way that this community is transformed, that marriages are rescued, that families are held together, that people are saved, and people learn how to give you honor in their lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you would like to learn more about how to walk formally with God in covenant that he has allowed you to enter into, start here might be for you. You might want to register for that. That's in two weeks. If you want to step over to the prayer team and talk about, I would like to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. Can we pray right now? Go do that. Let's take steps and walk with Jesus. See you next week for Vision Clarity. 2020 Vision Clarity resumes next week for two weeks. See you next week.